Welcome back to Muppets in Space, a Farscape rewatch podcast on the incomparable. Tonight we're covering Season 1, Episode 9, DNA Mad Scientist, and Episode 10, They've Got a Secret. I'm your host, Eric Scott, and joining me as always is my fellow co-host who keeps his secrets to himself, just as it should be, Jason Johnson. Yeah, you know, it, it was a little out of it there for a little while, but it's starting to come back to me, so I, I think we're all good now. We should be good to go. Yeah, yeah. A couple of minutes outside in space, I think that takes it out of you. Yeah, yeah, just give me a little time. I'll recover. It'll be all right. As we go, well, it'll, it'll come to me. And uh, if you've been listening to this podcast before, this is the part where I would remind you that we're following the Wikipedia order for season one instead of Amazon, as they're a little out of, out of whack. However, this time, both of them are correct. Yay, continuity. It happens occasionally. Yeah, it's only a few more times this season when they're off, and we'll tell you, obviously, when that happens. All right. Let's get into it. Uh, season 1, Episode 9, DNA Mad Scientist. An alien scientist called Namtar is taking DNA samples from the crew, uh, not your normal way, by like through the mouth, but by sticking a large needle into each of their eyes. Yeah. That gave me a little heebie-jeebies. He will enter their genetic data into his database so he can give them data on the location of their homeworlds. A genetic map that can also show the boundaries of peacekeeper territory so they can avoid it. However, he wants a sample from Pilot as well for payment, but the regular old DNA through the eye sample won't do. Nope, he wants one of Pilot's arms. A little later, Aaron and John are drinking in a bar. Uh, John's consoling himself on the fact that Namtar doesn't have Earth in his database of over 11 million species. Aaron reminds him that while they are all trying to get home, she can never go home. Crichton says that if Pilot doesn't volunteer an arm, they'll all be blasting out of here within an hour. She says he saw a look on the other's faces, and who says they'll wait for Pilot to volunteer? Uh, speaking of which, back on Moya, things are getting a little ugly. Zane and Rigel have restrained Pilot, and Dargo slices off one of Pilot's arms with his falta blade. They give it to Namtar, who says he'll give them their navigation crystal soon, and they leave. He then mentions that an experiment is not working, and we see some Pilot-like remains hanging off the wall. Back on Moya, uh, John can't believe they cut off Pilot's arm without his agreement, even if it will regenerate soon. Pilot says when joined, his first duty is to le the Leviathan, then to its crew. Aaron asks them how they could attack one of their own who is so defenseless. Dargo says he would have done the same to any of them, and says he'll make sure Pilot will cooperate. Zan asks Aaron not to deny them their chances to return home, just because she can't ever go back home herself. Crichton asks Aaron to drink with him, since when the others go soon, it will be just the two of them. She's troubled because not only are they going, but one day he will go too. She's always been a peacekeeper. One of many, never alone, she says. Ever. He says if he does find his way home, he'll take her too. And Aaron doesn't quite look thrilled by that idea. Meanwhile, Zan says she is surprised by Crichton's reaction, although she expected the sort from Aaron. Dargo says he's surprised no one's ever tried to use Namtar's data as a weapon, and if he had the chance, he certainly would. Dargo's still feeling a little pain from the needle, but Zan says it'll soon be forgotten once they're on their way home. They quarrel over which course to take first, each one wanting to go to their own homeworlds, so Zan suggests a compromise. Meanwhile, Namtar is angry that his experiment is not going too well, and when Aaron comes to see him. She says she's changed her mind and now wants Namtar to take a sample from her so he can find a sebation colony outside normal territories. Uh, he takes a sample from her eye, but in in also injects some kind of fluid. Uh, back on Moya, Rigel says he's the one going home first, but Zan says she and Dargo decided earlier that whoever's home is closest would be first. Dargo says Moya is receiving the data from the crystal, but Pilot contradicts that and says she's not. There's too much data on the crystal for Moya to process. It's useless. Zan suggests that one map could be used, but the other two must be destroyed. Rigel says they could go and get two other individual crystals from Namtar, but Dargo asks what he will demand then. 
Rigel then grabs the crystal and makes a run for it, and Dargo runs after him. By the time he catches up to Rigel, Rigel's already hidden the crystal in his room and locked it and him inside his room. Aaron returns to Moya, but is clearly not well. Then she goes back to Namtar and notices something growing on her chest. She grabs him and asks, what did he do to her? And he says she's in the later stages of phase one. But he rather not ruin the surprise. Aaron returns to Moya and goes to see a pilot, saying she senses all the DRDs and ship functions just like he does. He says that's impossible, so she shows him what's growing on her. Crichton enters, and she shows him that she has a pilot's arm growing from her chest. Namtar has injected her with some of pilot's DNA. She says she only returned to him because she was scared. Zan tries to convince Rigel to side with her by basically trying to seduce Rigel, but he doesn't buy it. Crichton takes Aaron back to the planet. Namtar says Aaron should be near the end of phase two now, and says she's progressing quite nicely. Aaron pulls out her gun and shoots a rather large hole in his abdomen, but miraculously, the hole regenerates. He knocks Crichton down several times and takes Aaron away. Meanwhile, Dargo and Zan go to Rigel's quarters and say that they give him their oaths that they will take him home first, but they get no answer. They enter his cell and he appears to be sleeping. Uh, when poking at his bed, uh, it turns out it's all a ruse. Rigel's outside his cell and locks them in. He says he has some trip planning to do and leaves. Meanwhile, back on the asteroid, Cornada, Namtar's assistant, tells Crichton that Namtar will do anything to keep Aaron because he wants to add pilot's multitasking capabilities to himself. She reveals that she was one. She was the one who set up the lab with others here as her employees, and they researched quantum genetics, trying to take out various abilities from lifeforms to use in other lifeforms. Namtar was just a test subject, but after various tests, he started to improve himself and took over the operation. Crichton takes her to Pilot, and they work together on a cure for Aaron. Pilot mentions that Rigel has nearly finished with the crystal, and Cronada reveals that if it's loaded into Moya's data store, all of Moya's memories will be erased. Crichton runs after Rigel, just as Zan and Dargo escape from Rigel's quarters. Crichton manages to knock the crystal out of Rigel's hands and it hits the floor, shattering into a lot of pieces. He tells them all that it was never going to work. Cronada goes with Crichton to see Namtar, but he says he doesn't have the time to fight Crichton again. He'll just kill him this time. He says Aaron is not here and shows him what she has become a hybrid pilot Sebastian-like creature. Crichton argues with Namtar about his reasoning for subjecting people to this, and Namtar says that he has realized that all species strive for perfection. That's what evolution is. Crichton explains that there were madmen on his planet like him too, and Cronada then blindsides Namtar, injecting him with something that causes him to revert to his true form, a really tiny lab rat, basically. Crichton then injects the antidote into Aaron's eye, which will reverse the effects of her transformation. Back on Moya, Aaron has recovered, and Crichton asks her what the worst part was. She says what Namtar did to her was like her inside, the real her. Crichton says she would have fit in great back on Earth. Meanwhile, Dargo has gone to Pilot and says if the same situation arose, he'd do the same thing again. Pilot says Luxons aren't readily given to apologize, so he understands, and Dargo shows him something he's been working on. Pilot asks what that new weapon is, but Dargo answers with a surprise. It's not a weapon, but a Shilkwin, a musical instrument that he then plays to soothe, soothe Pilot's suffering. Uh, some trivia about this episode. Ben Browder took the moral of this episode to be never trust the easy answers, especially when they come from a creepy genesis who's really a tiny lab rat. Speaking of which, the chief villain, Namtar, was named by reversing Ratman, which makes sense because that's what he was, basically. Also, Namtar happens to be the name of a Sumerian god of disease and pestilence. And uh, it's been uh, it was revealed here that pilots and leviathans are bonded together and Leviathans are the only way pilots can travel through space. All right, so that was the recap. What did you think about this episode, Jason? So, um, you know, we, we talked about this a little bit before we started recording, and I, I think we came up to this episode with a little, away from this episode with a little different takes. Um, 
I usually try to stay positive when I, I talk about these shows, but to be honest, this one was probably the one I've struggled with the most having when I was watching it. It it had a lot of spots that would either push me out or um, you know make me question the characters. And I think we can get into some detail on that. Uh, I'll also mention, I think uh, effect-wise, watching this show, this episode especially, I think you know you try to give some credit for the time that it was done in, right? I mean, we're, we're, we're pretty far removed from when this show was actually made. But I kept having flashbacks to... Um, Power Rangers episodes in this one. It just seemed a lot of the, the the effects they were going for just pushed me out of the enjoyment of watching it. Yeah, I mean, I, I kind of revised my opinion since it's been like a week since I saw this. I, I did think that it was good in terms of the uh, creature effects and and the makeup. I think their practical effects were good. I think they're they're some of the, the digital and some of the imposing characters in the same scene as others was where I kind of thought it was a little perspective wise. Yeah, I mean, I like I like Namtar as a as an antagonist. Uh, it's kind of interesting, and, and you know, effect wise, it was cool. It looks like it was maybe like a guy standing on maybe some little, you know, kind of like those, those little stilts like like drywall people use to get to the ceiling, that kind of thing. Like he's standing on that. The face was interesting, how it moved. You know, the lip syncing was a lot of out of sync with the speaking, so I I get that part. You know, that wasn't exactly good, but yeah, yeah, the character design. I think like you're saying that the armor slash prosthetics. I'm not really sure what what he was going for, but it definitely had a, had a cool vibe as far as that part went. And then Aaron transforming into a pilot was pretty cool. And again, you know, at least acting wise, a good performance on her part. Acting both, you know, you really felt for her basically. You know, she she didn't she was scared that she couldn't ever go back home. She wasn't really thrilled when Crichton's like, I'll take you with me to Earth. And she's like, nay, you know, I don't think so. So to see her go through coming to Namtar and then how she's dealing with transforming into, you know, half pilot, half Sebation was in, was good. Yeah, I think if we split this episode into to two halves and you focus on the the Namtar, Crichton, Aaron scenes and story, I think it works really well. It's, it's the other characters post the beginning that I, I question. Yeah, I mean, I guess we, we can jump into that, I guess, because um, that's kind of the part that, I don't want to say ruins the episode, but it, it takes you out of the episode. So Creighton was disappointed that he couldn't, you know, he, they couldn't find Earth. You know, Aaron at first didn't care. Okay, that's fine. I believe that part. The other three parts that I think either of us don't agree with is how Rigel, Zan, and Dargo reacted. They are all just seem like happy to go home, and they basically effectively like tie pilot down you know literally speaking um, and like chop off his arm like right in like (laughs) like what the heck is going on here yeah and and that's where i I started kind of questioning because up until the point where you know you're you're at that scene where aaron and and john are are dealing with his feelings of not being able to not earth not being on the map right and then it jumps immediately to that that scene of them cutting off the hand and I just kind of felt like, A, you know, here are these characters that we are, they're our heroes for lack of a better word, right? I mean, they're, they're the characters we're supposed to relate to and we're following their journey. And all of a sudden, they're attacking one of their own. They're pulling a, a whole um, rocket raccoon, you know, I need that man's arm and cutting it off and taking it back. And it really kind of made me think, you know, are, are we, it's, it's that whole meme of, you know, are we the bad guys? You know, are, did, did, if we had come into this from, not having John following with this crew, but following with somebody else, and we come across them later, are they actually the good guys? You know, that I actually started questioning some of the premise there. So that was, that was I think, where I, it took me a little bit. I, I think 
looking back on it, they could have shown us a little bit what the, the, the debate and the stuff that led up to that moment instead of trying to make it the dramatic jump cut. And I think they could have done some emotional development and, and had us sympathize with their decision instead of drop straight into, okay, now we're cutting his arm off scene. Right, and I, I guess they, they do say that his arm, or somehow they've mentioned that the arm will regenerate, but even still, that's way over the over the, over the line of what we've, we've come to see of, of these characters throughout you know these first eight episodes, now, now the ninth episode. And, and, and then once they do that, then they're arguing about, you know, and basically the whole rest of their interaction with everything is arguing and scheming about who can get the crystal so that, that they're the ones that can go home first. And I'm thinking, this isn't like you're all from different parts of the galaxy and don't know each other's races. Like, everybody knows all about each other and, you know, details about their home worlds and their species and whatever. So they'll have to be, like, in the same, you know, general, quote-unquote, because space is gigantic, but the same kind of part of, you know, the, the galaxy so who cares who goes home first just go go you know like Zan finally said you know let's go to the first place the closest place and go from there but it turned into like this uh, i don't know conniving stealing you know people trying to sleep with each other supposedly people trying to bribe each other people just outright hiding and stealing and whatever to be the one to make it home first I, I, that part you know all that part was just t- took away in, from this whole episode i think yeah, I, I can think if we if we focus on one half of the episode, we liked it. And the other half of the episode, it's, you're kind of looking at it going, well, A, these characters are out of character. At least for the, the, it's out of character for how we want them to be and how, how they've been the first couple episodes. So, yeah, I, I definitely had some struggles with that side of it. You, you just mentioned a point, though, that, that I'm going to ask you a question as you have a little more experience with this show than I do. Is the premise now that they don't know how to get home? I, I thought we were hiding in the unknown areas or uncharted territories or whatever we're calling this this area of the galaxy to kind of evade Chris and, and, and stay on the run. But now the premise is they're somewhere where they don't know how to get home because the star charts are incomplete or we don't have knowledge of how to get to the worlds that they came from when the peacekeepers obviously have established this part of space. I, I'm, I'm struggling at where, when did we transition to not knowing how to get home? Yeah, I mean, it happened, I think, in the first episode when they get Moya free and she does this like immediate starburst where I guess they had no coordinates, so she just went somewhere. Yeah, I, that part I don't quite understand either because they know that they're in the uncharted territories. Okay, so they they know where that is. Even though it's uncharted, at least to some degree, it's like you know here's where it starts, right? <laughs> so they at least know where that part of the galaxy is. But yeah, that they can't find their way home. Yeah, it doesn't really make much sense if you think about it. And I guess they really haven't up until now, I guess, kind of dwelled on that fact. You know, they're just kind of really hiding out from Craze right now. I guess with the idea of getting home eventually, but. I guess it's the first time, at least in the first half of the season, that they've probably thought about it or yeah, even talked about going home and where home is. Yeah, and I guess because most of our episodes have been, I don't want to call them bottle episodes, but, you know, more focused on the location. This is the first time where I really got the feeling of, wait, so we are actually after some information or maps or, or direction. We're, we don't even know if we're, we're traveling in the right way this whole season, you know, so... That that just I, that that started me off on the wrong foot. I think of of why are we doing this? Where did this come from? And then the story just kind of devolved, and all that led together to me struggling with this episode uh, in general. I, despite some of the cool stuff we do find out, um, you know, we did find out some cool things about some of the other characters and, and some history here. So that's that's the positive, I think, if we want to look at the good good stuff in this episode. Yeah. Oh, and I guess last episode, the, the PK Tech girl, they talked about they knew, they wanted to raid that peacekeeper ship to find star charts. So I, so I guess they did bring it, talk about it before, but Kreis found them somehow because he dropped them off last time. 
and then they were close enough to you know get involved with you know Maldus and that whole thing. So at least the peacekeepers know where they are. I guess Moya doesn't, but whatever. I mean, yeah, it's it's a plot point. Whatever. It's not the most important plot point, I guess. But. Truth. Truth. Uh, but yeah, but it's a, I guess that's probably all the stuff I want to talk about. The bad scenes, um, the, the good stuff, I guess. Yeah, we do learn more about Pilot finally. You know, he gets a little bit more to do, even if it's you know just kind of feeling sorry for him because he got his arm chopped off. But we do learn. Well, we that... learn it. We learn it grows back, right? I mean, that was that was the positive. So. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and as we saw, you know, spoiler alert, next episode, his arm's back. But anyway, it must be pretty quick. But we do learn, I guess, more about his species that we were wondering about a couple episodes ago. That, I guess, when they do join to Leviathan, they're kind of, like, subservient to basically everybody. Obviously, first to Leviathan that they're bonded to, because that's why they did that. But then also to any kind of the crew that might be on board. So, so basically, a pilot's like a servant completely. You know, he's just there to help get you know make, move the ship along and help get the crew whatever they want which apparently means like him chop off his arm if they want it and then we do learn that also he says that his species can't travel in space without the leviathans so i'm not really quite sure what that means maybe they'll explore that later his species doesn't have technology to leave their home world like are they like like non-space traveling society and but they've worked out some kind of i don't know genetic or whatever bond to these leviathans where they can then use them to travel the universe Maybe. Or, or is there some physical limitation of their species that they can't survive something of some, some aspect of space without the bond that the, the benefits that the bond gives them? You know, it, maybe there's some physical trade off there that they can't handle space without a Leviathan bond. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and we do find out, um, you know, not not to spoil the next episode, but there is a, a, a little bit that's dropped in the next episode about the nutrition pilot gets. And so evidently he's at least maybe not fully dependent because he might get it elsewhere, but typically receives his nutrition through that bond. Yeah. Cause it seems like from looking at his pilot chamber set or whatever you want to call it. Um, yeah. He's pretty much bonded in the most literal sense. Like he's probably genetically, physically, you know, not to say welded, but you know, like he, he basically can't leave his little control chamber. Yeah. Which from a, puppeteering standpoint helps so <laughs> yeah you have to worry about you know do pilots have legs yeah you don't care he's just you know <laughs> he's locked in he ain't going anywhere uh that's really all i had to say about this episode as we had talked about it was kind of good in one respect with aaron and her coming to grips with being turned into a, a pilot sebation hybrid other than that i think that's, that's about all we can say about this yeah, I mean, I, I, to steal a little bit from what you were talking about earlier, the, there there is a little bit about Rigel's capability and the fact that despite his you know not being a, a, a combatant, he can hold his own own when it comes to uh, scheming against the other two, even if it's a scheme we we aren't happy about. So, yeah, I mean, you know, Rigel's still you know the comic relief, but he's also sly and does is good at what he does, which is trying to get his own way. Doesn't always work, but that's at least something he's demonstrated time and time again that you know you don't underestimate him just because he's small and annoying he can pull one over on you if you aren't careful yep you want to move on to the next episode yeah i think we kind of mentioned enough about this one all right uh so season one episode 10 they've got a secret opens with aaron trying to remove a peacekeeper communications enhancer while the rest of the crew is sweeping moya for any more peacekeeper surprises Dargo enters a tunnel and finds some sort of device, and he tries to ask Pilot what to do, but is unable to understand Pilot's response due to his comlink being garbled. Dargo pulls on a wire and gets shocked and falls down a nearby chute. He finds another device while down there, and when he tries to tell the others, his comm is still garbled. 
So in, in frustration, he kicks at the device and a fluid bursts out, causing Moya to lose stability and shake. This shaking causes Dargo to fall further down the chute as Pilot manages to locate him, but he's not on the ship. He's now floating out in space. Aaron picks him up and brings him back, but he's frozen from being out of the ship for about a half an hour. Uh, turns out that Luxons can survive in space, but only for a quarter of an hour. Moya uh, continues shaking and as Dargo uh, wakes up, uh, but he calls Zan by the name Lalan. He doesn't remember what happened and falls back unconscious. Pilot says he's receiving odd readings from Moya's system, and Zan finds a piece of debris in Dargo's body. Aaron and Crichton go to Dargo's last known location before the accident, when Pilot tells him the DRDs are no longer responding, and he himself is in pain. Crichton notices that the air smells stale, and behind him the DRDs are fixing up the hole that Dargo fell through. Pilot isn't reading any DRDs in the area, but one turns around and shoots some sort of glue at Aaron, which sticks her hand and foot to the floor. Zan, meanwhile, is, uh, says the scan of the system is less efficient than usual, but Pilot doesn't respond. Crichton has some debris stuck to his hand, and uh, Zan analyzes it. Crichton notices that the two pieces of debris are genetically identical and uniform in size, which, if they're debris from the explosion, they shouldn't be that way. Crichton starts to loosen Aaron's hand and foot with a solution that Zan made, and Aaron manages to force her hands and feet unstuck. They think that Moya has a biomechanoid virus that was implanted by the peacekeepers and was triggered by Dargo. Crichton says it could be in the air generators, so they could be breathing it. Zan helps Dargo back to his room, and he confesses how much he loves her and sees them together in the future, still calling her Lolan. Zan asks who Lolan is, which upsets Dargo. Crichton wonders how Moya's immune system will respond to the virus, and Aaron tells him it'll start fighting back. She eats something, but it's spoiled. The refrigeration unit is not working. Crichton calls Pilot, who says it's not a malfunction. He's seeing signs of intentional sabotage. Aaron goes up to his chamber, telling Crichton, that Zan and, telling Crichton and Zan that Pilot's vitals are extremely low. Every system is out of control, and Moya is showing many chemical surges. She seems to understand many of Pilot's systems, probably because she was injected with Pilot's DNA last episode, and gets the, the systems under control. Environmentals are still not functioning, and the air will soon run out. When Rigel tries to take some of Dargo's possessions, which is what he would naturally do, Dargo wakes up again. He calls Rigel Jothi and picks him up and hugs him. He thinks he's upset because the others are treating him like an outsider. Rigel says he's upset because he's gone mad. Dargo says that when Jothi's mother's family first saw him, they despised him. He says he loves his son and always will. Zan is finding the air to be staler. Crichton asks her if Moya can function without Pilot, and Zan says yes, Moya is an independent living being. Pilot and the DRDs are merely in her service. Pilot's job is to regulate the environmentals as they are not for Moya's benefit, but for the passengers. Aaron finds out that Pilot's blood has been nutrient-starved, and Crichton assumes that the virus has caused this. But then Zan says it's no virus. Her tests confirm that the particles are no distinct organism. They're part of Moya. Crichton says what Dargo saw before the incident must be the answer to why the ship has suddenly turned on them. They call Rigel, who says Dargo thinks he's his son Jothi, and he's out looking for Lolan. Crichton goes to him, and Dargo says he feels unsteady. He turns and calls Crichton Macton. Crichton asks who Lolan is, and Dargo says that he may despise him for marrying his sister, but he shouldn't mock her. Dargo then recognizes Crichton as himself, saying he was in a shaft and saw a peacekeeper shield. He quickly turns again, attacking Crichton as Macton. He asks how Macton dared dishonor his own sister, even though she's dead, and breaks down in tears. Crichton goes to find the shaft when all the lights in the section go out. He finds the DRDs blocking the passage, so Aaron tells him of another way around. He is again cornered by the DRDs who attack him. He yells at Aaron to shut down the DRDs, and she does so. 
Zan, Crichton, and Aaron discuss what to do, and the DRDs are vital to, as the DRDs are vital to Moya's operation. Zan asks if the DRDs are affected by what they assumed was a virus, but Crichton points out that the DRDs are totally mechanical. They only do what they, they're told to do. Aaron says Pilot is unconscious, and they realize that Moya must be causing all of these failures and intentionally stopping Pilot's nutrients so he couldn't help them. Moya is trying to kill them. They go through Moya's diagnostics, but the work is slowed as they are forced to look through printed diagrams as accessing Moya's systems would tip her off to what they're doing. Crichton's trying to find a way to access her higher functions so they can shut her down, although it would end up leaving her totally incapable of any independent impulses and there's no guarantee that they can be restored. Dargo brings Rigel to command where Zan confronts him, but he's still calling her Lalan. He says he loves her more all the time and asks how she, should, how she could give up everything to be with him. Zan asks Dargo for help since their ship is hurt, but Dargo says that he destroyed their ship so, he could not trace, so that it could not be traced there. Crichton tells Dargo to keep his hands off his sister and says he rejects Dargo and their marriage. He says that Dargo cowers from her memory and is not worthy of her. Dargo says Lalan's memory burns in his soul. He says she's dead, but he doesn't want to remember. He attacks Crichton, saying he killed her to keep her from him. He says he never had the chance to tell Jothi why his mother and him left their world. They had to send Jothi away because he was charged with Lolan's murder. He got Jothi away before he was arrested, hoping Macton and the others, would like, like him, would never find him. But he can't be sure he's safe until he sees him again. When Macton arrested him, he saw Lolan's dried blood on his hands. Crichton's confused as he thought that Dargo was arrested by a peacekeeper. Zan realizes that if Macton was a peacekeeper, then Lolan was Sebastian. Dargo then shows them the hologram that confirms this. Aaron is trying to shut down Moya's higher functions. Crichton is on his way to the source of the explosion, but Aaron reveals that she can't access the higher functions. She can only sever them, which they agree to do. Crichton goes down the tunnel and finds another opening. While Aaron begins severing the higher functions, Crichton finds something and asks Zan about Leviathan physiology because he thinks Moya is pregnant. The particles were a catalyst for the pregnancy, so Moya was actually protecting herself and the fetus. Aaron then comes in to say she's almost done severing the Moya's higher functions, and everyone starts screaming at her to stop. Luckily, she makes out what they're saying on the garbled calm just in time and stops. Crichton wishes they could tell Moya what she's doing for her baby is killing Pilot and them. He then sees the inactive DRDs and realizing that as the baby needs them, by turning them off, they're killing it. So he gets Aaron to turn them back on. They go to attack Crichton, but he takes a chance and speaks to Moya through one. Putting down his weapon, Crichton reassures Moya that they'll never hurt her or her baby. They're happy about her child, but he asks if they have to die for the baby to survive. The DRDs then back off and the atmosphere returns. Later on, Crichton asks Pilot how Moya could do this without him knowing. He says that he's here to serve her. She can do anything she wants for her and her offspring's survival. Moya needed resources to nourish the fetus after its inception. It's now alive and well. Aaron then goes to see Dargo, who thanks her for saving his life when he was floating in space. She says he's welcome and that she didn't know Macton Tall. Then she then asks to see Lolan. He shows her and she says she's beautiful. Dargo asks if it surprises her that someone like that could love him. She says it's ingrained in peacekeepers from birth to keep the bloodlines pure, so such unions are evil. He responds if she thinks his son is evil and she says no because in his eyes she sees Dargo. She says that no matter what happens, she'll never tell anyone about his son. Some interesting trivia about this episode. Uh, the revelation of Moya's pregnancy was originally supposed to come out during the final scene of Premiere, which was the first episode, but they decided to hold it back instead of throwing it away at the end of an episode uh, with a lot of story events. Ricky Ayers, the production designer, designed the corridors of Moya in 10 pieces on wheels so they could be put together in a number of different configurations. Uh, 
Also, uh, Dargo's backstory was changed in this episode. His original backstory, which was printed on Ritterhouse preview trading card, stated that General Dram was jealous of Dargo and caused his downfall. And uh, also, this episode is Anthony Simcoe's favorite from the first season due to the depth that it gave to Dargo. So, uh, Eric, any thoughts on this one? Yeah, um, kind of almost like the last episode. It's kind of like a bottle episode. You know, it's just happening on the ship with just the regular characters. Not really sure what their budget for the season is, but I'm sure that means probably there's more location shooting or more bigger events coming up ahead. But um, all in all, yeah, this is probably one of the best episodes so far of the season, I think. I mean, it just had everything you like about this kind of show. You know, you get great acting, a lot of backstory on at least one character anyway. Actually, two characters, if you think about it, if you want to call her a character. And, yeah, it's just kind of interesting to learn more about, like, the the Leviathan, because I had questions about how Moya works, you know, how she functions, how people can live in her and whatever, and they they do kind of go through a lot of it in this one. Yeah, I mean, obviously, you know, I still have a lot of questions about Moya's design and functions, but I think, you know, this went a long way towards kind of giving us a bridge into how the biological technology works in this, this setup. And, you know, you get a lot more information about her interactions with Pilot. And it was, it was, it was a really good episode. And like, like you said, I mean, this was, especially after the last episode, I felt like this was a, a great move back towards the, the camaraderie and the crew working together as a team, not towards their own selfish desires. So I, I really did enjoy this, especially in context of the previous episode. Yeah, it's almost like the, the conniving and attacking and like out of character if that's a word, from last episode is kind of like wiped away and now everybody's back to being happy and friendly and, you know, Rigel's still Rigel and he's trying to steal Dardo stuff, which, of course, so everybody, everything's back to normal. But but a lot of the episode, now granted, they were all trying to save them, you know, against, you know, they were all facing the same enemy in the case of the Moya being the danger and the life support and all that, but there was a lot of, you know, working as a team and, and investigation and stuff in this episode, which is which is what I really enjoy, right? I, I, like, I like how the characters interact when they're working as a team in this show more than I do I think when they're at cross purposes yeah and apparently when you're walking around Moya's innards you gotta be really careful because suddenly just out of nowhere you can fall down a shaft and right out into space yeah I, I, I'm thinking that the, the designer of, of the Leviathan and the designer for the Imperial Star Destroyers and Death Stars and stuff must have went to the same school because they definitely share a lot of the same designs of we're not really worried about safety when it comes to, to shoots and where you could just step out the airlocks yeah, there's apparently no like universal OSHA uh, department in any of these uh, agencies or uh, alien governments because, yeah, you just can walk along a giant shaft and just fall over. It's, you know, whatever. <laughs> and, and theoretically, right, if it had been any character except for Dargo, that would have been fatal. So, I mean, Crichton certainly couldn't survive space for 30 minutes. So Yeah, so that's cool. You get to learn something pretty much about a lot of the major characters this episode. One that... In this case, Luxons are pretty strong beings if they can survive out in the vacuum for at least 15 minutes, or 30 in the Dargo's case. Although, granted, they need like immediate and major medical attention afterwards, but still, that's a nice trait to have, I guess. Yeah, yeah, definitely. And it, maybe that does explain a little bit on how they're um, not as concerned about environmental suits as I think I would be when doing some of their adventures. Yeah, and like we had said before, you know, Rigel's being Rigel again, so he's back to his normal habits of someone's unconscious not dead like the last couple of times he thought people were dead and trying to steal their stuff but the guy's just unconscious because he's a little out of it he's still trying to steal his crap i mean it, it's great hey co- continuity and consistency in characters i'm all about that and then the whole interaction afterwards when darko wakes up calls him dothy and it's like you know i'm sorry that people think everything's crazy he's like no i think you're crazy 
<laughs> well, and, and to be fair, you know, without context, that that was definitely a uh, what in the world are you doing, you know, scene. So. Yeah, you, you call me a strange name, and now you're hugging me, and like I love you. It's like, uh, who are you? What? <laughs> Get away from and, me! You're, you're you're crushing me, right? And and, and give him credit. The, the cutback when they, they they check on him on the video screen, and he's under the covers because he got tucked in for the night was kind of funny. So yeah, I did like that. Yeah, it kind of makes you wonder how old Jothe really is, which maybe we'll find out later because I'm sure this is a gigantic revelation. So I'm sure we'll see him at some point. Hey, you know, we don't know the, their culture. Maybe they um, tuck their kids in for a long period, you know, uh, until they're you know grown. That may be a custom. We just don't know. Yeah, I mean, he, he could be 25 and still tucked in bed. In that. Who knows? That's right. Knows? Until they fight a certain duel or something. Maybe maybe that's the duel, you know. If, if you no longer want to be tucked into bed at night, you got to fight back. <laughs> yeah, and I guess speaking of Dargo, yeah, so we do learn that, I guess as we learned a couple episodes ago, that killing his you know his cover no it's a cover story but the the thing he tells people he was in prison for by killing his commander doesn't sound like that's the case now it sounds like more like you know he had married a sebation had a child with a sebation which apparently is uh, you know unclean un- you know impure and as like aaron said you know peacekeepers don't consider that or peacekeepers or sebations whichever don't consider that a good thing and apparently lowland's brother mecton or Macton, whatever, also agrees with that because apparently he killed his own sister and then apparently framed or arrested Dargo for it. Yeah, and, and that, you know, the fact that he was a peacekeeper and uh, was willing to go through those links definitely sets him up. I'd, I'd be interested to see if that actually is a, he gets brought back at any point or if this is just kind of a, a nebulous person out there for Dargo to, to work towards dealing with. It'd be kind of cool for a future villain. But yeah, I mean, and, and it also makes you, the interactions between Dargo and Aaron interesting right because obviously despite his hatred for peacekeepers he's at least gotten past it before which we didn't know before this episode yeah i mean he's not like one note where you know all peacekeepers are bad because i had this bad experience you know he, he's growing he's learning and and actually so is aaron so it's working both both ways you know she or you know he's learning that all peacekeepers aren't evil scum that want nothing to do with luxons or want to frame him or kill him or maybe now if they could find his his son because apparently he hid his son away from them too because they might kill him or who knows what right so you know he's learning that you know not all peacekeepers are like that because of having aaron around now for you know however many months and then you know also aaron's learning that all luxons aren't just a raging warrior frothing at the mouth you know killing anything that moves right yeah and and we learn this genetic compatibility between the two because we've got a kid so mm-hmm. all kind of new information yeah and she's not you know, she's getting out of her peacekeeper, I don't, I don't say brainwashing, but like conditioning, well, it could be brainwashing, you know, conditioning or assumptions about her upbringing that, you know, yeah, if you marry outside or if you have, you marry outside your species or have relations out there to your species, that's evil, you know, which is kind of heavy if you think about it. You know, that's like, I want to say like, you know, Nazi-esque, like, you know, the, the, the pure race or whatever, but that's kind of what it is. So, you know, at least she's not as prejudiced as she would have been a year prior to this or whatever. Yeah, and that's a good point because we also it kind of does point out that we get some some information and development of Aaron's character as well, because when you couple that with what we learned last episode about her having grown up as a peacekeeper, which may even contradict her, uh, you know, how Captain Crace is he was conscripted as an older kid, and she acts like she was born to it, so it kind of makes you wonder was she even more brainwashed into the service than somebody like Kim who was conscripted at a, at, as a kid, you know, little bits and pieces, but we are learning more about her as well. 
yeah, there could be all kinds of different ways. Maybe the peacekeepers get their members or whatever you want to call them, you know, conscripts, whatever. Some some people are conscripted. Maybe some people are, yeah, like if, if maybe both their parents were peacekeepers and then they had a baby and there she was, so they just, she just went right into it. Who knows? I'm sure we'll learn more about the peacekeepers since they're the, the big bad. And if they carry it forward with, with Dargo's thing, definitely we'll learn more about them, right? Right. And um, yeah, the, the Moya pregnancy bit, I, I do remember, not this episode, because I haven't seen these early part of the season, but I do remember the end of this. So I must, I don't want to spoil too much ahead, but that's why I must have started watching around that point because I do remember the outcome of some of this. And, and I found that interesting too, because, you know, a lot of these episodes are more, you know, I don't use the, the term bottle episode again, but, you know, one shot, right? I mean, I, I've, there've been similar episodes in Star Trek and, and other franchises where you find out that either the, the, the ship or uh, an alien they're dealing with has a kid in the episode and usually it, it's resolved in quotes by the end of that because it sells off into the sunset or it's already reached full adulthood or self-sufficiency or whatever. And in this case, you know, we kind of end the episode with, okay, now what? Got a, a baby, baby Leviathan to deal with. And it sounds like from the way at least it was framed in the episode was, you know, obviously Darva didn't like knock open that thing. And then she became pregnant. Like she, it sounds like she was already pregnant before the, the series started and that was just maybe to like some kind of stasis thing or something to keep the baby from just dating further or even or even being or maybe even yeah becoming yeah evidently alive, she had but... the she had the capability to do it however that works in a leviathan but that inhibitor was somehow keeping it from starting the, the process until it was removed yeah, from, 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 from progressing or... right yeah yeah so it'll be interesting to see based on what i learned here and what i saw at the end which I kind of have hazy memories, but I know some things. So I'll be curious to see what happens between now and then, because they asked Pilot, you know, so what do you know about pregnant Leviathans or what's going to happen? He's like, I have no idea. So yeah, I mean, it could be, who knows, like, does Moya get like morning sickness or they can have issues later, (laughs) right? Where they're trying to do something and she can't do it because she's not feeling well or being a pregnant Leviathan means, you know, she can't starburst or she can't scan right or who knows. So it could be interesting. Yeah, it, 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 at the very least, it may increase their um, supply needs, right? Because she'll need more maintenance or more whatever material she runs off of. Yeah, like, you know, now if you're like you know, eating for two, like they say, right? You know, so yeah, do they have to give more nutrients? They have to now start going on special missions to help, you know, keep her going. Uh, you know, which we learned that, you know, the DRDs are helping. So either they knew about it ahead of time and we're just keeping it kind of there, or, you know, she diverted all the DRDs to do it while well, doing a couple of things, protect and, and help the baby and get rid of these nasty carbon infestations that are in me because they might, you know, threaten the baby, right? Which yeah, brings back, which brings back, like, in my mind, some of those great movies or TV shows like, you know, the, um, was it uh, Fantastic Voyage? Where the they shrink a little ship and inject it into a guy's body to go help with something, and you know they get attacked by antibodies and stuff later, and and then being the big Doctor Who nerd, I thought you know the Invisible Enemy, or same kind of idea, the Doctor and Leela shrink down and go inside of, will get cloned, and then go into the Doctor's body, to help you know attack this one virus that's in the Doctor's body. So same idea, but I always love those kind of things. And, you know, it's kind of interesting because I didn't realize that there were that many DRDs on the ship, right? I mean, you see one or two in a scene, and I'm like, oh, you know, he's got maybe, you know, a fleet of 10. And then that scene where they're just all on the walls and all on the floor and everywhere, you just see those lights looking. It's like, uh, yeah, there's a couple of DRDs on the ship that I didn't realize they were there. <laughs> yeah, that's the one part where I actually laughed out loud is when he, like, rounds the corner and there's, like, I don't know, like 100 DRDs, like, all over the walls, floors, and all of a sudden their lights light up and they turn and look at him. <laughs> I, like, broke, I, like, cracked up laughing. Yep. 
and apparently they have lasers. Or maybe they're just like maybe cutting tools or what. But actually, they were shooting laser beams at them. So I don't know if Moya, I guess she, she couldn't have incre you know, increased that functionality. But you know, so it must be some kind of repair tools that just happen to look like lasers. But yeah, it's like you got to watch out. You know, they aren't as little harmless, cutesy little things as you think they are. No, I think we've established now that they've got the, the translator microbes, they've got glue, and they've got lasers. So they're, they're pretty multifunctional. Yeah, you know, all the things you need to help people and repair Moya, right? So, Or at least get them to stick around. Right. And apparently, speaking of like micro, translator microbes and stuff, even though Moya doesn't speak, apparently she understands, at least to some degree, because, you know, maybe just gestures or body language, since John was trying to basically tell her, or, you know, show her, like, you know, he put the gun down, he's like, you know, we don't want to hurt you, you know, but you're killing us, please stop doing that. And she did. Yeah, it, it kind of would be cool to see it from her viewpoint, you know, maybe do a, a point of view scene where you can kind of see, but I guess all you see was the DRDC is not really what Moya sees, right? So I, I'm not quite 100% sure, sure how she interacts through the DRDs and, and what their relationship is as far as, you know, is they, are they a conduit? Is she just looking at camera feed, how that works? But it worked. I mean, we got them point across, so. Yeah, and somehow she can control the DRDs even though they're not part of her. So that's kind of interesting. Like, I don't know if it's like through the console that, pilot has which i guess in fact she has because it's kind of the same how that's interact how are the peacekeeper technology and drds interface or are part of the systems right so she has some control over them because she was telling them what to do and obviously pilot wasn't because he was unconscious so there's some kind of connection yeah. there somehow and aaron did quite a bit of cutting so it'll be interesting to see if they have any trouble repairing all the the stuff that she managed to tear up yeah and at least you know we have some like you know continuity from last episode already which also is another reason why you have to watch these things in order otherwise that would make no sense but at least in this case they did match up like i said before so it, at least it made sense but apparently controlling moya just means if this thing on the console pops up push it down like you know whack-a-mole right yeah that's exactly what i was thinking is moya is just a big game of whack-a-mole yeah it, evidently you have to be able to process a lot of uh things at one time to be able to hit all those whack-a-mole things successfully yeah but hey, you know, at least now you, have, you know, everybody has a better appreciation of what Pilot does. I mean, yeah, he's basically your your glorified you know, servant. So he said last episode, not us. That's it's his words. But but yeah, it does take a lot to control a Leviathan, not control to process all the information from a Leviathan, and also take care of the crew, and do all the other stuff. So you know. Yeah, I will. I will say that one thing. I it's a, one of the big questions that you, you know comes up a lot in Star Wars is you know are droids slaves or property or people right are they are they are they, are they intelligence or they whatever and in this case you know at least with pilot it's, he's voluntarily there so while he's the interface at least he's a voluntary interface so it's not quite as questionable but yeah it's it definitely leaves it shows his importance yeah it's like it's, you know it's, it's symbiotic like you know he's kind of like the in between like the go between between the crew and moya which i guess either wasn't a crew i guess the pilot still needed to help maybe I don't know, you know, obviously Moya is a living being, so she probably heals and can repair herself, but, you know, the DRDs help with that too. So, yeah, it's like, like we said before, this is like the symbiotic relationship. Both can probably live happy lives, you know, separate, but then you put them together and they can do more maybe, or, you know, at least experience more. Anything else we didn't talk about? I know we talked about a lot about this episode, but this is probably the best one. Like I said, it was, I think it was the best one of the 10 so far, pretty much. Yeah, definitely. I think, you know, I think we agree we had a mixed bag with these two 
uh, put together, but I think we definitely went out with the the higher note. And the, this episode was it was a great redemption, and like you say, just in, in terms of the season, a great episode. It it really benefits from being able to build on the relationship and the information we have. Like you said, a little bit of continuity, a little bit of history. Yeah, some of this stuff may not have worked on in episode two, but for episode ten, it, it works great. So, yeah, I mean, I don't know, like, what kind of like, did they have like like a writers' room? you know, for this kind of stuff where they had, you know, here's how we want the plot to grow. Cause you know, they are linking back to things that happened not that long ago. Like, you know, the Aaron pilot DNA thing, Dargo's big secret, which wasn't what he said it was and, and other things. So however they're scripting the episodes, they had a pretty good plan. It looks like so far, at least, t- you know, for the first 10 of 22 episodes this season, you know, with a couple clunkers here and there, but you know, they're doing a pretty good job of modernish storytelling where you know things reference other things you know it's not just anthology where what happened last week we never talk about it ever again right so they they have some kind of clear plan that they're working towards which is great yeah yeah having a plan and continuity is always a a good thing in these type of shows so like like i said it it definitely redeemed it and and I, i thoroughly enjoyed it all right well if there's nothing else then your homework for next time is season one episode 11 Till the Blood Runs Clear, and Season 1, Episode 12, Rhapsody in Blue. I guess yep. if we're making guesses about these episodes, kind of sounds like we might get a Dargo or Luxon episode with Till the Blood Runs Clear, as we learned from the Space Gauntlet Drug, Don't Do Drugs episode, that you know Luxons need to bleed. If, if they're bleeding, they need to make the blood run clear that shows they're healing, right? So this could be some kind of Luxon or Dargo episode. And the second one's probably a Zahn episode with you know Rhapsody in Blue, right? Yeah, maybe maybe we get to learn one of her secrets, or maybe since maybe could could headcanon a way that DNA one that might have been like the the evil Zahn from Zan from the prior episode where she had to release the dark side in herself, and then this episode she was all happy, fine, back with it again. I don't know, but maybe this could be more repercussions of that. Or she meets more of her people, her race somewhere else, and we learn more about them. Who knows? But it's fun to speculate, right? Absolutely. And in this case, do use the Wikipedia episode order, because if you use the Amazon order, episodes 12 and 13 are flipped. So not a big deal, but it might throw things off. We don't know yet, but who knows? All right, so that's your homework, and we will see you next time. Goodbye. Goodbye.